Halloween. Uh, sorry, that's how I always start. Christmas tidings to you all. Junior church, you are dismissed to walk four years old through fourth grade. While they're doing that, we want to remind you, if you haven't read the bulletin, the app, Facebook, or website, hint, that's a lot of information coming out, um, you need to check up the upcoming Christmas Attire Sunday, a.k.a. Ugly Sweaters. Okay, we want to see all that. We're going to have a kind of just a celebration of ugly Christmas sweaters or Christmas attire. So please look at doing that. I think it'll be fun. Um, I think the ugliest one you can wear is probably like a red tractor one or some, <laughs> something like, wow. You, okay. Anyway, so, uh, but let's do that. So let's start our time this morning uh, with prayer. Lord, we thank you for being God above all. We ask that you would make yourself known to us today, Lord Jesus, that you would be here with us as we gather to praise you, as we gather to worship you. And having the desire to learn more about you in our lives, God, we ask that your kingdom would come. That you would break in on our hearts, that you would break in in our minds so that we can experience you today and throughout this Christmas season. Lord, we ask that your kingdom come upon us all. Amen. How many of you ever heard the phrase, your kingdom come? Right? If you've been in church, you have heard that phrase. We hear it often when reciting the, the Lord's Prayer. But think about that phrase that I just said in the prayer. Your kingdom come. May your God, may your kingdom come. Doesn't that, shouldn't it excite us? The thought of it, praying that God's kingdom, his sovereignty, his power would come upon us, would come within us. And yet there is something in that phrase that many people who claim to be Christians, they just don't want it. When you are seeking God's kingdom, it means what God wants, whatever God's desire is. Whatever is in God's will that we are wanting more than anything else. We are wanting God's kingdom, God's will, God's desire in and through us. While we agree with that statement, how many times do we not want that at all? How many times are we wanting to pick and choose the kind of stuff that God wants for us in our lives? Kind of like picking your food off of a fast food item um, menu. I really think of it this way. Um, Many times Christians look at Scripture, they look at the Bible as a menu. And they've been looking in there and they're like, um, God, I'd like a kingdom special number one, a miracle just on time. Or maybe I'd rather have a number two, a fresh day, dose of God's power and strength throughout the day. How about special number three? This sounds better yet. I'll have a number three, a healing. Well done, please. And, and hold the angels' visions and dreams and revelations. They, they kind of give me unsettled gas. I'll have all that, please, as a God to go. We never do that. We never treat God like that, do we? In our fast food lives, it's like we want to order up God when we're hungry for him. We want him delivered in such a way that's comfortable and convenient for us. We want him to look like what we expect. It's only natural in our fallen, sinful mind. 
And then what do we do when he shows up and he doesn't look like what we expected or wanted? I can tell you there have been times I've gone through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And there's one of them, not the one Clayton works at, but another one that I go to. And um, I have to check the order each time if it's the drive-thru. So I pull over and I open and check each thing. Because what happens so many times at different restaurants do you just sit there and go, I ordered a Big Mac and you gave me chicken nuggets? Oh, well. What do you do? You take it back. I have seen people at many restaurants barging back in there and they throw it on there because they didn't get what they ordered. And yet, how many times as Christians do we do that to God? This is not what I asked for. I'm returning it. Give me what I want, God. This Christmas season, we're looking at how we can become gift givers. Not gifts to our families and friends, but being a gift giver to God himself. When I was first planning out these messages, I I had planned this sermon for last week. And as I was writing um, this one, I just got stalled and stumped on it. And so I thought, well, I'll work ahead. And so I worked on the next sermon, and that one came so well, I... I did it last week. I just felt like God was saying, do that last week. So today, we're going into the one that I had planned. And instead of returning it, I was like, okay, God, what are you wanting to say? Last week, we looked at King Herod and how he was given the choice to be a gift giver to God, to give God the gift of recognition, and yet he chose to be a gift taker instead of a gift giver. Today, we're going to look at Joseph and Mary. Their involvement in this Christmas event is a true example of being a Christmas gift giver. Christmas seems to be one of the greatest events of all history. When God himself arrives on earth, he leaves his throne in heaven. He lands in this plane, this earthly plane that we live in. He chooses to become one of us, to be fully human and yet fully God. And the plan is that he will arrive on the scene as a newborn baby in the poorest parts of town with no real grand entrance, no ticker tape parade, but packaged in the smallest bundles, born in a barn. None of this is how any of us would have planned the event of God coming into mankind. And yet this is how God introduces himself. We're going to be in Luke and in Matthew today. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 28. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, if there's no other words that really describe what's going on. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. 
Now, this event, this historical event, is very common to most of us here. We have heard this in sermons, Sunday school lessons, movies, and more. I've heard people say that Mary simply was the best person for this job because she was perfect. I'm just going to say something. This may surprise you. Mary wasn't perfect. Mary wasn't better than any one of us. Um, And you can tell this because she is disturbed and confused. She had no idea what was going on when the angel makes his visit. She didn't expect anything like that. She even questions the angel. When given the message from God, she goes, "Uh, this can't be. It doesn't make sense. There's a sense of doubt, which means she's normal. She's a person. Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph, but they hadn't come together. Okay, we'll put it that way. Mary was a virgin. And while it seems their relationship was established, because in that day engagements were lengthy and quite a bit more involved than what couples experience today, in fact, most likely legal documents were already in place. They had already started the marriage season of it. Well, they hadn't come together. The ceremony hadn't happened. It was already started. The avenue had been booked. The caterers are there. The reception hall has been reserved. The invitations are in the mail. This wedding is going to happen. And then the angel comes and gives her staggering news. How? How can this happen? How can this be now? Why not after the wedding. Okay, so we we don't have to refit the dress. Why not later? Why not next year? Why does God have to do this to me now? How is this a reward for God's favor? Can you imagine the rumors that would have gone around? Imagine how Joseph would feel the guilt and the shame on her, the shame on her family, on Joseph and his family. Poor Joseph. In Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born, his mother. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. There is a lot in these scriptures that I think we overlook. We focus on Mary. Joseph is broken. His fiance, his bride, is pregnant, and it's not his. Which logically means she committed adultery. Joseph had every right to publicly stop the wedding, which would have caused an uproar against Mary and her family. But Joseph is a nice guy, but he's not going to go through with the wedding. He doesn't want to be with Mary if her heart is given to someone else. There's a lot of questions here. I can just imagine Joseph saying, why Mary? Why did you do this to me? Why didn't you love me? Why didn't you want me? How could you have done this to your family, to to my family? Why, God? How could she do this? Joseph isn't extraordinary either. Just like Mary, Joseph has sinned, 
Joseph has messed up his life. He felt the pain of this treachery. He knew heartache. Joseph is just like you or I. So what makes this man Joseph and this woman Mary worthy enough to be earthly parents of Jesus? That was when I started looking at this. we got to figure this back part out before we can look at becoming a gift giver like them. How many of you have ever received a gift you just did not want? How many of you are lying right now because the person is right next to you and you don't want to acknowledge it? Yeah. Think back to the worst gift you have ever been given. There are people out there that give horrible gifts, okay? Now, some say it's the thought that counts. But these gifts prove that there is no thought in some of these gifts. Okay, I'm going to share with you, okay? One guy received his recently deceased grandfather's used disposable razors as a Christmas gift from Grandma, complete with extra beard stubble in there. It's the thought that counts. Two young boys were excited to learn their uncle was coming to Christmas. Their uncle was a a neurosurgeon. He was wealthy. This was Uncle Big Bucks. Okay? The gift the uncle gave to these two young boys was a bag of chips he received on the airplane. Merry Christmas. One youth minister, his name is not Dustin, but please do not do this. Well, maybe you should. One youth minister stopped by the homes of several of his youth group during Christmas. He was excited to give them each a gift that he had personally got them. That year, he gave out nine dead squirrels. Dustin's like, that's a great gift. One boy received a gift of handkerchiefs from his grandmother. The problem is they had someone else's initials on them. She had got them from one of her tenants who had died in that apartment she was renting out, rifled through it, and found Christmas gifts for her family. It's the thought that counts, right? Some of you will no doubt think, well, those aren't bad gifts. You can still use them. But in truth, any gift that is not wanted or is not given in love is a bad gift. I read through a lot of bad gifts. There was one grandpa who gave his six-year-old granddaughter an ashtray. Not wanted, not given in love. Bad gift. Worthless gift. Any gift that means nothing is either doomed for the trash can or maybe storage. God gave Mary and Joseph a gift, that first Christmas gift, and it was a gift they did not want. So what did they do with it? You've all seen those people who open up gifts that they don't want. Oh, thanks, you shouldn't have. There was uh, one story I read, a boy, he knew he was supposed to be getting a game system or something or a laptop, and uh, he opened up the first gift was a pair of socks. Second gift was a pair of socks. Thirteen gifts later, he had thirteen pairs of socks. He was crying by that time. There are a lot of things out there we don't want, and how we respond to these gifts is important. How Mary and Joseph responded is very important. 
how they responded to God is how we should also respond to God. If we respond like they did, we're going to be giving God a truly wonderful gift this year. Did Mary and Joseph return? How many of you have re-gifted? Some of you don't want to raise your hand because that's the gift from the person next to you. Re-giftings when you give something you don't want and so you wrap it up and give it to someone else. Did Mary and Joseph return or re-gift it? Luke 1, verse 35. The angel replied, this is after Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The baby to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The angel said, you have found favor with God. And then he explained how she did nothing, but God is going to overshadow her and place this child within her. But you found favor with God. That's a question I want to know. How did you find favor with God? How can I? Find favor with God. Joseph knew what he wanted to do. He wanted a divorce. He was done. This is not going to work out. He was a godly man full of good principles, thinking Mary had been with someone else, and so he wanted out. He felt hurt, betrayed, and angry, so he decides to call off the engagement, but because he's a righteous man, he decides to do it quietly behind the scenes so as not to cause more shame and heartache. He didn't want to embarrass her, which really shows he cared about her. He didn't want that when everybody would find out about this scandal. And this is his plan until Matthew 1, starting verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. An angel came and appears to Joseph, and because of that, Joseph goes ahead with the wedding, but he doesn't consummate it. He doesn't come with her until after Jesus is born. Now, why? Why would Joseph do this? Why would Joseph go ahead and marry a woman and not truly take her as his wife? Why would Joseph go through with this? This baby, this stepson... He would take as his own, becoming the daddy. Joseph would not be raising just any child, but the son of God. I believe Joseph had his own ideas of how he wanted to become a father. And none of this matched how he wanted to do that. It didn't look like anything he expected. This first Christmas was very messy. Not necessarily a good thing. And yet, what did Mary and Joseph do? Why did they do it? Remember that question? How did Mary 
find favor with God? Why did Joseph go ahead with the wedding? The answer is written in these two scriptures. In Matthew 1, 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Luke 138, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Do you know what these two verses here show us? Mary, Joseph and Mary gave a God a gift that first Christmas. Joseph and Mary gave God the gift of obedience. Joseph did not want to raise a child that was not his own, and yet he did. Mary questioned and resisted the ideas of being pregnant, but ultimately obeyed God, uh, obeyed what God had said. They gave the gift of obedience. And God still desires the gift of obedience. Jesus said it plainly in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, obey my commandments. You want to know how you can show love to God? Obey his words. Jesus said it. If you love Jesus, obey his words. Not debate them. Not ignore them. Not follow when convenient. Obey. Which means obedience is a gift. When we choose to obey our parents, it is a gift to them. Let me say that again to all the teenagers right now. When you obey your parents, it's a gift, a good gift to your parents. It shows love and respect. And it is no different adults when we choose to obey God. We need to choose to give him the gift of obedience. But obedience can be tough. I've talked with people who are struggling to struggling with the idea of obeying God, and usually they end up saying something like, it is just so hard, you don't understand, you don't even know. With that, let me say a few things, okay? Because I've been I had this conversation with many people. I do know what it's like to struggle to obey God. I personally know this struggle. My life has not been a cakewalk. While I may not go through the exact situation that you are in, I do know that the gift of obedience is hard, and I don't like it all the time. I don't. So I understand. But more than that, secondly, God knows that it is difficult. God himself knows it is difficult at times to obey him. Do you know Jesus struggled to obey God? Jesus Wait a minute. The perfect one. God himself. Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Do you know what the scripture says? Jesus just said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to obey. And he's struggling. Jesus didn't want to obey God by going to the cross. He struggled with that. He struggled with it so much. Look what happened. Verse 44. He prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony and spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Jesus was in such agony, turmoil, struggling in this choice. To obey God, that the blood vessels under the strain of his dress broke under his skin, and he started sweating blood. Jesus knows the hardship of obeying. He understands that. 
So don't think you're alone in your struggle to obey God. Do not believe that lie of Satan. Satan wants you to think you're alone, that no one can understand. Instead, look what Joseph and Mary chose to do. In Joseph and Mary's obedience, we can see two aspects that will help us in the gift of obedience. Joseph was struggling. His betrothed wife was pregnant. And not with his child's shame. There's disappointment, heartbreak. It's all flooding his mind. Yet he tried to be the bigger person, the nicer guy. He chose not to bring more shame and dishonor to Mary. So he's going to divorce her quietly. After he decided that, after struggling through the emotions, he fell asleep. If you've ever been struggling with the decision, you don't know what to do. You know that sleep doesn't just happen. So he is in a fitful sleep. He is just struggling and finally falls into sleep here. During that, an angel came and told him to continue with the marriage. That it was God who orchestrated it. It's not adultery. It was not breaking, uh, Mary did not break her covenant with him. And Joseph was at a crossroad here. And in this time, before him lay two options, two different roads. One made sense, and the other one didn't. On his left was the obvious road, divorce. The road that led to quietly divorcing him. This is the road of doubt. This news of the pregnancy would have caused Joseph to doubt Mary, to doubt her love for him, to doubt his self-worth, to doubt that he would find love again. Doubt. How many of us have been at the crossroad and doubt is right there? It's an easy road to go down. We've all been on that road. Doubt. Doubt. Um, that people value us, doubt that we have the right knowledge or experience, doubt our plans will succeed, doubt. The other road is hidden from Joseph's view, hidden until God pulled back the curtain and exposed it for him. And yet, wouldn't you think this was just a fanciful dream? I mean, you're struggling, you have this weird dream where an angel talks to you and you say, man, I can't have Taco Bell anymore. But Joseph knew this was different. Instead of doubting his dream, he looked at this other crossroad. Joseph turned away from doubt, and he turned to trust. Joseph turned to trust that Mary did love him, that Mary did not commit adultery. Joseph turned to trust the message of the angel. Ultimately, Joseph turned to trust God. Joseph turned to the road of trust, not doubt, but trust. He took Mary as his wife, yet he did not consummate the marriage, which shows he trusted in the prophetic words of the angels. He trusted that this message was from God. Joseph gave God the gift of obedience by trusting in God. What about Mary? She stood at a crossroad. Mary's crossroad is one that Many of us are so familiar with. She's given the frightening news, and this crossroad is the obvious road of fear. This emotion swirling within Mary. What's going to happen to her life when she conceives this child? Or when she gives birth? What would it mean for her? Joseph would know perfectly well the child wasn't his. This is a very serious issue. In this time period, women were stoned to death for such an act. If Joseph pointed an accusing finger at her, Mary would be hauled off to the edge of town in a sentence of death. 
At the very least, Joseph could call off their wedding. Then Mary would would have to bear this child as a single, unwed mother. How's her family going to respond to this? Would they disown her? Would they support her? She could be thrown onto the street with an infant. And even if her family did accept her and the baby, life would forever be altered. She's going to be looked at with scorn. The only way the situation could possibly work would be for Joseph to accept her as she was, pregnant with someone else's child. And Mary stood at the crossroad. Fear was the gleaming road to her left. And she isn't the first person or the last to stand at this crossroad. We've all stood at the crossroad of fear. Starting a new business venture, going to college or not, choosing which college, leaving home, changing jobs, getting married, moving, having children or not. Their life-altering actions to decide against them or not comes with significant consequences or blessings. And at times like these, we look for directions and what do we do? Many people take the road of fear. And when we take the road of fear, we do not give God the gift of obedience. To give God the gift of obedience, we've got to turn away from the road of fear and turn to the avenue of faith. Just like doubt is the opposite of trust, fear is the opposite of faith. And when we live on the avenue of faith, we have some tools at our disposal. The first one is pray. Submit your situation to God. Ask God who who sees all things, who already knows all things, who holds all of time in the palms of his hands to enlighten and um, lighten up your path so you can see. Secondly, we have to seek the counsel of others. You have been given a tremendous gift. Me. I, I mean each other. The gift of wise counsel, of experience and knowledge. From each other, the community of saints. Collectively, we hold within us a trove of experience of wisdom and faith, and their perspective, uh, perspective and knowledge could help you on your path of faith. God might be send, sending you a sign of their holy signals presenting themselves to you. It's most likely won't be apparent. It's not going to be an angel popping in saying, hey, by the way, it may not even be a star in the sky that's saying you need to go this way. But the Holy Spirit might be whispering and nudging to you. Fear, not faith. Mary stood at the crossroads. How would she respond to Gabriel? She said, um, he declared, nothing is impossible with God. And she responded, may it be. She put her faith in God who gave her that message. It was an honest faith. It was, in the end, Mary believed that nothing was impossible with God. It was possible for Mary to conceive a child and bear a child. And if that was possible, then God would make a way forward for even Joseph to maybe love her and accept her. Romans 1.17 says this. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from the start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. God deserves the gift of obedience. And to give him that gift of obedience, we've got to give him our faith and our trust. There are some horrific gifts 
out there that people give out from ugly sweaters, gym memberships. If you give a gym membership, you're, you know what you're telling them. Just no, okay? To dead squirrels. Any gift that is not given in love but given out of obligation is worthless. What kind of gift are you giving God? Don't we truly want His kingdom to come? I mean, don't you, when you think about it, that all of God's power, all of His providence, all of His sovereignty comes into my life. God, your kingdom come. Because of that, I will give him the gift of obedience. Last week, we looked at the gift of recognition, which includes confessing who God is to us and repenting. The gift of obedience cannot be given without faith and trust. Have you given God the gift of obedience? I just want to offer, if you have not done that, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to show you what God's Word says, what Jesus Himself says. If you want to say, I want to learn to love Jesus, let me show you what Scripture says. The elders, Dust and I, we want to walk with you because all of us have also been at the crossroads of doubt and trust and fear and faith. And I can tell you so many times I've taken the wrong path. And you know what? God gives me another chance to choose the right path. So have you given God the gift of obedience? We're going to come to a time of invitation. And as we do this, I want to make sure we are prepared that when we sing these words, that when we lift up these truths, that they are focused on giving God what he is worth. So we're going to stand right now. And if you need to make a decision, won't you come and talk to us? But as we stand, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the gift of loving us, dying for us. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness. As so many times we mess up, as we, we forsake the good road, that we turn and choose sin. The Lord right now, as we come together, as we stand upon the principle of who Jesus is, will you accept this as a gift of our love, of our faith, of our trust in who you are? Lord, help us to be more and more as gift givers in our life to you, to you who truly deserves it. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen.